Contentment is an internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. I'm going to read that again. Contentment is an internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. Uh, Last time that I preached here, not last week, but the week before last, we looked at uh, the first secret of contentment. That's a contented, uh, a contented person is secure in God's providence. That's verse 10. Uh, Paul simply, he said, you know, I'm trusting you, God, to be God. Uh, he understood that uh, God supernatural, uh, supernaturally weaves all the events, all the circumstances, all the contingencies, uh, all the elements together to accomplish his purposes. After all, we know from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, God worketh all things according to the counsel of his own will. Paul was content because he knew that the times, the seasons, the opportunities of life are controlled by a sovereign God who works all those things together to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in our lives. We're going to expand on that this morning by looking at number two. Number two is a contented person is satisfied with the circumstances they are in. And that's Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 that we looked at this morning. Paul says, not that I speak in respect of want... For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. As I noted in previous messages, Americans, well, are seeking contentment in more money, some in more possessions, more power, more privilege, more prestige, more jobs, more freedom, and uh, freedom from the difficulties in life. They desperately chase after contentment like a greyhound. I don't know whether you've ever watched on TV. I've watched on TV in greyhound races. And in greyhound races, they have a fake rabbit uh, that runs the track. And the greyhound is running as fast as he can after that fake rabbit. But he never catches it. And a lot of people are seeking contentment uh, like that. Um, and, and, you know, I, uh, I guess that I've, I've had the opportunity uh, years ago to be in a third world country, the, the poorest third world country uh, in this hemisphere, and that's in Haiti. Uh, I, I think of the people at Haiti. Um, uh, they didn't have the luxuries of life. Most of them did not have running water. We had running water where we were at part of the day. Uh, and most of them, nearly all of them, uh, the regular people, they didn't have electricity. We had electricity part of the day. And uh, that meant that uh, our refrigerator couldn't keep things refrigerated. So every day, uh, feeding, I forget, I think we had six boys at the time, every day I had to go to the iron market and buy fresh meat that's hanging out there in the heat because they didn't have refrigeration at all. But you'd want to get the, one, the chickens that were freshly uh, slaughtered and, 
uh, take the meat back so that Linda could prepare the meals and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of people who just uh, uh, didn't have anything but uh, uh, shabby clothes. Uh, if they got to eat uh, one good meal a day, they counted themselves blessed at that. And I can remember uh, that uh, the food that we didn't eat, I allowed our cook to distribute. So we fed about seven people out of our back door. And we have so much today. It's, it's a tragedy uh, that so many people are not content with where they find themselves. You know, um, at the crux of the problem is this. Uh, people, and sometimes myself included, I'm just being real honest with you, people can't determine between a need and a want. I want you to think about that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. But my God shall supply all, shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul wrote to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, in verse 8, and having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Uh, people today consider everything a need. Uh, they want a better car, a better job, a bigger home, a bigger TV, faster internet, the newest smartphone, more freedom, more personal experience, a better self-image. And it's very interesting. It's a lot of times very difficult to find a decent church because... A lot of churches today are being established around meeting people's felt needs. They take surveys to find out, you know, what do you need? What do you want? In these church groups, uh, in these churches that are being established, they have support groups for just about everything. Eating disorders, weight loss, sleep deprivation, alcohol, drugs, LGBTQIA+, anger, depression, all kinds of support groups for people who have these felt needs. Uh, in these churches, uh, these support groups are about anything and everything. And as I already said, they take polls to determine which direction the church should go. The great tragedy is that many people, including Christians, actually believe that the main goal of the church is to satisfy people's felt needs. That's nonsense, friends. That's nonsense. Uh, I'm going to tell you, um, it is to preach the word. That is what a church is to do, to preach the word. Second Timothy 4 and verse 2, preach the word. Whether they like it, whether they don't like it, it says, preach the word, be instant, in season. That's when they like it, out of season, when they don't like it. And then reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. But why in the world preach the word when people have all these felt needs? Well, it's because people need to be saved. People need to be saved. You know, there's a lot of things that are remedied when you come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior because God's provided all things for us that, that relate to life and godliness. Uh, men and women need to be saved 
And we are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the Great Commission, which in a lot of places is the great omission, because there seems to be no outreach beyond the four walls of the church. Why preach the word? We looked at this in Sunday school. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, it's very interesting. I want you to see this. Paul learned in whatsoever state he was to be with content. It didn't come naturally. It didn't come naturally. He learned that the secret of contentment was to be satisfied with what he had in his current circumstance, even if it was little. And he knows what he's talking about because remember where he's at. I've learned in whatsoever state therewith to be content. You know what? He's chained to a Roman soldier. Day and night, he's chained to a Roman soldier. If he has to use the facilities, he's chained to a Roman soldier. If he has to eat, he's chained to a Roman soldier. If he has to entertain guests, he's chained to a Roman soldier. Paul learned that he could be content in any circumstance. But I find it very interesting, and you know this from my preaching through the years, I like to do the word studies. And I looked up the word content, and it is otarkes in the Greek. Not that that means a whole lot to you. But what that means is adequate, sufficient, or listen to this, satisfied with one's lot. Paul said, I am satisfied with my lot. And in the next verse, he says, I know both how to be a base. So he is satisfied in bad times. I know how to abound. He was satisfied in good times. Paul used the word to indicate that he was satisfied with the circumstances that God allowed him to be in at the time. Paul never appealed uh, to them. He never sent out an SOS to the Philippians. They had lost contact, but he didn't say, hey, 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 come rescue me from this. Paul had learned to be content in whatsoever state he was in. It didn't matter whether he was in prison whether he is out of prison, whether he's on the top of the mountain, whether he is in the valley, whether he's having a difficult time, whether he's having a blessed time. Paul said he had learned because his life was in God's hands and whatever state God allowed him to be in, whether it be hungry, whether it be suffering, whether it be bounty, he was content. Why? Because Christ lived in him, and Christ living in him, it enabled him to meet the demands of his life. You, you know, that's the promise. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But it goes on to say that he will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. Paul knew that God was in control of those things that surrounded him. Now, as I sat there and as I was mulling this over in my mind, here's what I came up with. I want you to think about this. For the believer, contentment is, um, 
contentment should not lie in what you have or the circumstance that you're in, but whose you are. Let me say that again. Contentment should not lie in what you have or the circumstance you're in, but whose you are. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So regardless of your circumstance, we're to glorify God in it. When you come into a relationship with God, with the Son, Jesus Christ, understand whose you are and what you have. If you lack contentment, um, probably it's because you're looking horizontally. And by that I mean you're looking at others. You're looking at what others have. And as long as we keep our eyes on others, we are probably not going to be content. We sing the song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you have your eyes viewing others horizontally, you're not going to be content. You need to look vertically. When you look in God's direction, regardless of your possessions, regardless of your status or the lack of it, uh, you know he's enough. As one person put it, if you have Jesus, you have enough. We sing the little chorus, Christ is all I need, Christ is all I need, he's all I need. He was crucified, for me he died, he's all I need. Problem is, is I don't apply that enough in my own life. I'm, I'm, I'm not standing up as some kind of paragon of virtue here. Contentment. Listen, contentment relies in the heart. Remember the definition that I gave you to begin with. It's an internal satisfaction which does not demand change in external circumstances. Commitment isn't. Now listen to me, please. Biblical contentment is not denying one's feelings uh, about wanting or desiring what they uh, do not have or can't have. But instead, it exhibits freedom from being controlled by those desires. Contentment isn't pretending that things are right when they're not. Instead, it displays the peace that comes from knowing that God is bigger than your problems and that he works them out for our good and his purposes. Contentment isn't feeling, uh, isn't a feeling of well-being contingent upon keeping the circumstances under control. I'm a control freak. And so many things come into my life that I can't control. The older I get, there's the more of those things that I face. Instead, it promotes a joy in spite of circumstances, 
looking to God who never changes and who promises that he will see us through. Hmm. Contentment isn't based on external circumstances. Not at all. Uh, But instead, on an internal source. I just want to be upfront with you. I need to grow in the area of contentment. My contentment is certainly not at the level that the Apostle Paul's was. Paul had enduring, deep down, soul-satisfying contentment. Even though he's chained to a Roman soldier, even though his freedom is curtailed. And this kind of contentment comes from within and has nothing to do with what's going on in the outside. The source of this soul-satisfying contentment is a trusting relationship with our Heavenly Father that cares for us and promises to meet us where we are. Contentment is a matter of accepting from God's hand what he sends and what he allows. Wow. I just want to say that again. Contentment is a matter of accepting from God, God's hand what he sends and what he allows. Uh, I'm reminded again, and I've used it two times already. I'm going to use it again. God worketh all things according to the counsel of his own will. And I can't help but think of Job. Job was about the most miserable person that I'm aware of. He's covered, you can read the context, he's covered from head to toe with boils. He's sitting in the ashes. He'd been sitting on a dunghill. Sitting in ashes, he's scraping himself with a a broken piece of pot to scrape off the scabs and the things that are going on in his life. And then he has a conversation with his wife. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou retain thy integrity? Come on, Job, look at your state. Look at what God's allowed in your life. <laughs> you're, you're still looking to trust him? And she goes on to say, curse God and die. Woo, doggies. He's sitting in ashes. He's scraping off the scabs. And then his encouraging wife says, why don't you just curse God and die, Job? Man, the faith of Job, but he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speak. Now listen to me. Here's what Job said. What? Now listen. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall not receive evil? Whoa. You know, Jesus put it this way, man, uh, you know, in this world you shall have tribulation. Get your eyes off this world. In this world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And Job said earlier, man's born unto trouble as the sparks fly upwards. How many of you have had a perfect life? Huh, I don't see a single hand. How many of you have never had a trial? I don't see a single hand. What shall we receive? Good at the hand of God and not receive evil? 
And look at this. In all this, think of Job's situation. In all this, did not Job sin with his lips? Wow. Asaph, David appointed, David, King David appointed to be one of the singers and composers of songs in the Hebrew songbook, the Psalms. Asaph was a Levite. And Asaph wrote this in one of his songs, Psalm 73, 26. And, and he's just being straight. My flesh and my heart faileth. I'm having a tough time. I'm going through a tough time. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Some of you are going through tough times. We're going through some tough times. But with Asaph, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I want to be like Job. Job trusted in God. Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I believe that's Job 121. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So I was thinking, how can I be more content in my life? And so I got studying this passage some more and some other things, and I came up with uh, uh, some insights into contentment. And I, w- I want us to seriously ponder these things. The cornerstone of contentment is the cross. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, For to me to live is Christ. He didn't just stop there. He said, For to me to live is Christ. And then he says this, And to die is gain. What? You see, the cornerstone of contentment is the cross. Remember what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Uh, Because of the cross, we are freed from the chains of sin. Because of the cross... Uh, Our salvation is secure. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to, to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Because of the cross, our friendship with God is possible when we were enemies of God. Now we're his friends. Because of the cross, my future with Jesus Christ is guaranteed In heaven. Now I ask you rhetorically, and I ask myself as I pondered these things, isn't that enough? What else matters? Paul wrote that the suffering of this current time is not worthy to be compared 
And then I'm paraphrasing this, what we'll have in the future. Um, I love my truck. I don't mean I go kiss it. I just mean I really enjoy my truck. But it's fallen apart. You know, but my heavenly inheritance, neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, nor thieves break through and steal. It's reserved in heaven for me, you know. God has an account that it's a heavenly bank account and nobody can crash into your heavenly bank account and get your heavenly social security number and rob you. It is there for you, the prayers that you've offered, the people that you've witnessed to, even down to such mundane things as offering people a cup of cold water because you're a Christian and because you want to show agape love to them, that's recorded in your heavenly bank account. And I can't help but one of the favorite songs I like to sing in the evening service when we dismiss, sing it with me if you know the words, it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small. When we see Christ, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. The cornerstone of commitment is the cross. Number two, let go of the past. Philippians 3.13 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, <clears throat> and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Philippians 3.13. We will never gain commitment by holding on to the past failures and mistakes. I've made a bunch. Get them under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let Satan bring those up and beat you to death with them. Put them under the blood of Jesus Christ and serve Christ today. You know, there's a difference between ignoring past wrongs and forgetting them. Forgetting means that we work through the process of forgiving others, allowing God's forgiveness to cover us. We need to let go of such statements that go like this, I should have. 
You know, isn't hindsight wonderful? You can learn from your mistakes, but shoulda, coulda, wanna, if you live in that, you're going to be stalled. You're not going to be content. If only! (laughs) If only I hadn't. True forgiveness requires that we see the wrongs clearly, release them to God, and walk away from them. Get busy for the Lord. This process may take some time and some assistance, but without it, you'll never have a contented heart. If you're always living in the past, oh, if I would have not done this or if I would have done that. The Apostle Paul just put it this way. I am what I am by the grace of God. You know what? There's not a single thing you can do about the mistakes that you made in the past right now. And if they were sin, get them under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and forget them and move forward for God. So many people are beating themselves up. I'm thankful that God doesn't give us what we deserve. Ooh, doggies. You'd have a pile of ash here. I got to move on. It's difficult. Now, I'm not against planning. Understand that. But live one day at a time. You know, there's enough problems with living today without looking at, oh, but what if this happens tomorrow? What if this happens tomorrow? Live one day at a time. Philippians 4.19, but God, but my God shall supply all, my, uh, all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We just need to wait on God. I'm always anxious. We need to surrender our timetable. E. You know what? I I found out something. God doesn't work on my timetable. How many of you found that out? Our, Our future is in his hands. Discontentment for a great deal of us is because of a wrong focus. We focus on our timetable. We don't give God veto power. If we focus on things and others, we're going to be discontent. If we focus on God living each day in light of his glory, because the Bible says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Can you imagine that? You can glorify God in what you eat and what you drink, and God, God's even concerned about that. I, I thought maybe just the big things. No, 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 no. What that is saying is, is he's concerned about the little things, and he wants us to glorify in uh, glorify him in our attitudes. He wants us to glorify him in our plans. He wants us to seek his face before we make decisions. The steps of a good man are ordered what? By the Lord. You know, if we focus on God and seek as best as we can, living every day in light of his glory... 
the things of earth will, will pale in comparison. I didn't look it up ahead of time, but there's a song that's Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Let me see if I can find it quickly. What is it? Turn to 284. 284. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light? In the darkness you see, there's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Number four, find sufficiency in Jesus. If you'll look at the context, if you would with me, back to Philippians chapter 4, And I I want to go from 11 through 13 again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. It says this, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He says, I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. We'll deal with that coming up in a message. But then he says this, regardless of what position he's in, regardless of what he's experiencing at the moment, he says this, and this is the context of it. I can do all things, but now note, through Christ, the arm of the flesh is going to fail you. But I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I need to practice continual dependency upon Christ, and so do you. Christ has not given us unlimited strength. God's grace, look at, God doesn't give us the grace before we need it. I just want you to know that. God does not give you the grace before you need it. When you come into the challenge, he promised his grace is sufficient for us. Our human determination may help us endure adversity and pain. Some of us have that kind of emotional tenacity. Our emotional toughness may get us through hardships, but even in that, we have our human limits. I'm just saying some people are emotionally tougher than other people. Only Christ can provide the supernatural strength to help us keep on keeping on 
when we find ourselves contending with the trials that we face in life. Back to the song, Christ is all I need. Paul experienced this. A situation similar to Job. I think it was his poor eyesight, I'm not sure, but he had a thorn in the flesh. He had a thorn in the flesh, a, a messenger of, of Satan, it says, to buffet him. And he comes to God three times and wants to be delivered from this. Take the uh, Lord, what a, a, a trial that I'm in with this. I'm not contented with this. He asked it to be removed. And then God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that his grace is sufficient. And Paul understood that his strength was made perfect in weakness. When we come to the end of our strength, if we're believers trusting in God... He promises to supply the needed strength for us to get through. There was a time, I'm going to ask my oldest daughter Carla to raise her hand. We were at the end of ourselves. We thought she was going to die as a young child. They had to pack her in ice. My heart was breaking. I thought we were going to lose her. But God provided the grace to see us through. And I'm here to look at my dear daughter in her face today and thank God for his preserving her life. Now he could have done different. He could have taken her home. But I have the full belief that he could have given us a sufficient grace if that was his plan as well. Dennis will remember, but when people broke into the church and set it on fire in three places, down at the other end, and it had to be all torn down, what am I going to do? And I came in 79 and 81, it's all burnt down. What am I going to do? But God's grace is sufficient. Look what God has done to this day. I know some of you are going through deep waters now. I know it. And I've been through deep waters and I'm sure we're going to go through more. But I can tell you this. Paul 
listened to the Lord and found that his grace was sufficient for him in his time of weakness. As challenging as it may be, we are to be satisfied with our circumstances knowing that God loves and cares for us, his children. I don't understand it all, and I cannot answer all the questions. But I would turn you back to the definition, contentment is an internal satisfaction which does not demand changes in external circumstances. These are the four things that I've come up with. The cornerstone of contentment is the cross. Let go of the past. Live one day at a time and find sufficiency in Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul said very clearly in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, I have learned, I'm still learning, what about you? I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith, to be content. Now, there's no possibility of contentment if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Are you 100% sure that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? I can just tell you that there is so many benefits of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. There are so many benefits after you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior of walking in fellowship with him. 